0: In Mark Batterson's book and also Bible study entitled All In, Batterson speaks of a group of people known as one-way missionaries. These men, about the turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s, these group of, of men, they knew that... God had called them to the hard places. He had called them to go and spend their lives. And those the remainder of the days of their lives would more than likely be short. And so they purchased one-way tickets on a boat to wherever God had called them and they set out. One of those men was a man by A.W. Milne. And Milne was just exactly that. He was a young 20-something-year-old who had felt the call of God on his life, and so he set out on a one-way journey. These guys were so, they were so impassioned that they packed their belongings in a coffin. You let that sink in for a second. They packed their belongings in a coffin, loaded that coffin on a ship, knowing that they would never return home again. Milne set sail for the new Hebrides. Excuse me, let me get my statement down. He set sail for the new Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific. He was not the first missionary to go there. Every former missionary that went there did not last long because they stepped foot on that island to a group of cannibals. But God had caught him, and so he went. For 35 years, he lived among the tribes. He loved them. He spoke the gospel to them. And when he died, this group, once cannibals, buried him in the middle of the village. And they inscribed on his tombstone these words. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Ma'am? Sir, this morning, you and I, we live in this world that has changed. You and I, we live in a time where the spiritual forces of evil are raging and roaring out of the gates in our world and in our culture and in even our nation. But there is this question. There is a question for you and a question for me. Would you like something greater? 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 19. That question, in essence, was posed to one man. And that man's name was Elisha. And today I would like for us to look at the call of Elisha. Looking in 1 Kings chapter 19 and also 2 Kings chapter 2, we see this call and we see the answer to the call. And here's what God's word states. So he, that's Elijah, he departed. Where did he depart from? Well, you remember last week that he's with Ahab and he's talking with Ahab at Jezreel and he's telling Ahab, hey, um, here's what's going to happen. And so from that... God speaks to Elijah, went up on the uh, mount, we talked about uh, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai where God spoke, not in the tornado, not in the earthquake, not in the whirlwind, not in the fire, but in that small voice, so he departed from there after that moment, and here's what God's word states, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and he said, Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled the flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This passage of Scripture speaks to the call of Elisha. And every single one of us find ourselves on that same road. The, the call of a man, the call of a woman. What does God want? What's His will for our lives? What's, what does He desire from us in the moment? What does He desire from us for the days that are ahead? And what is He asking us to do? This road. The road to something greater in Elisha's life, the road to something greater in your life and in my life goes through at least one checkpoint. That's the first point. The road to something greater for you, the road to something greater for me goes through at least one checkpoint. Let me give you one more story and I promise we'll dive into the scripture. 2002, I found myself in Beirut, Lebanon, and I, I was there with two other English-speaking men. Uh, one was a missionary in the region, and another was a pastor from Kentucky. And we found ourselves in Beirut, and everything was in lockdown in Beirut. There was some huge French summit that was happening, and on every street corner there were uh, at least two soldiers with M-16s. We would look at them, and you'd say, man, they, they're the, uh, the purple berets. I know we call them green berets, but they were purple and they were decked out. And every other corner had a jeep with a fifty caliber in the back of it. So every other corner there was a jeep downtown throughout Beirut just to make sure everything was okay. And we're like, well, there's going to be no ministry here for four days. What do we want to do? And so we got in our taxi And we decided that we were going to cross the border from Beirut, Lebanon, to Damascus, Syria. And to get across the border, there is this checkpoint. It is heavily guarded on both sides with Lebanese soldiers on their side and um, Syrian soldiers on their side. And so we pull up, and uh, our taxi cab driver gets out, and he goes to the trunk, and he's got two grocery bags, and he just walks in. He said, let me have, first before he goes, he says, let me have your passports, and let's go in, and so he goes in with two bags of groceries, and he comes out with our passports and says, all right, we're good, go through from that to the next checkpoint, because we got to get out of one country and into the next country, and he goes back to his car, picks up two more bags of groceries, and gives us. Passport, still got him, goes in and comes out, we're good. I was like, dude, what was in the groceries? He said, oh, there was just some bread and some hummus and some veggies because I knew that these guys like this and these other guys like this, but we made it through the checkpoint, able to go to Damascus, saw God move in Damascus, and guess what happened when we came back? Two bags of groceries and two bags of groceries to get back where we had to get. For you and for me to get to what we want, i.e. something greater, you have to go through this checkpoint. And what is this checkpoint? Well, I believe the checkpoint that Elisha has to go through today is something that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 16. So let me read Matthew 16 and then we'll dive into 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's what Jesus said In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and following, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. Elisha was asked the question, not in these words maybe, but he was asked the question, do you want something greater? River and you and I are asked the same words. Ask the same question, do you want something greater? You say, how, how do we know that it was something greater? We'll get there, but let me just tell you where he was. So he departed, Elijah, from there, and he found Elisha who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelve. You and I need to understand that Elisha was very wealthy. He he was very wealthy, number one, in the place that he lived, and we'll get there, but he was also very wealthy because he had twelve yoke of oxen. There were twenty-four oxen. How do you know that he was wealthy? Well, most people in the day in Israel had zero ox. Okay. Oxen is plural. They had zero, not one. They had zero ox. If you were a middle class person in that day, you would have one ox. He has 24. I mean, he has every shape and every type. He has that SUV type. He's got the workload truck type. He's got the sports coupe. Maybe you don't like that analogy. He's got this. He's got a house in the hills. He's got a house at the beach. He's got a house in the mountains. He is extremely wealthy, and he is the CEO. How do you know that? Well, because he is behind the 12th yoke. Everybody else is out in front, so he can tell exactly what's going on, and he can say, hey, you need to get over a little bit. You need to come back a little bit. You need to get going so that we can continue. He was the CEO of Elisha Farms. He was well-to-do, and he lived in this place. The place that he lived was a land that is called the Abel Mehalah. In English, it is translated the dancing meadow. It was and is the fertile part of Israel. Think of it as the Napa Valley or maybe even San Diego with 75 degrees all year long. It was nice. And he was set. Maybe you find yourself just like he did. Because maybe in his mind, as he looked at those 11 in front of him with two oxen each, and as he looked day after day, yeah, I'm tilling the ground. Yes, there is going to be a crop, and yes, it is going to grow up, and it is going to be great because I know how to do this because I've been doing this. But is that it? Is it it that I just get up every morning at eight o'clock and I fight traffic to get to the office, and at the end of the day, I fight traffic to get back into the house so that I go to sleep tired, exhausted to wake up and do it all over again? Is that it? And one of those days, Elisha finds himself looking right in front of him as he's plowing. And somebody out of nowhere just comes and throws a cloak on him. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And Elisha left the oxen. He left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. What does that tell you? What does it tell me? It tells us this, that Elijah didn't stop. It wasn't as if, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to have this conversation and I know that you're the guy. No, he just God told him, "All right, here's what you got to do. You got to go talk to this king. You got to talk to that king. You got to go anoint somebody, appoint somebody to take your place." And this was his aspect of that. Here is my cloak, Elisha, and I'm on to the next task. It is At this checkpoint, the checkpoint of surrender, the checkpoint of sacrifice, and the checkpoint of service that you and I all must go through if we truly desire something greater. You say, what do you mean surrender? Look what he did in these verses. It it is almost unfathomable to understand what he did. Elisha said, all right, let me go talk to my mom and my dad. Let me kiss them and tell them goodbye, and then I will follow you. And we don't have a good translation of this, of what Elijah said in English. But pretty much he said, if that's what you want to do, go do it. Okay, I'm not studying you. I'm not staying here. I did what I was supposed to do, and I'm on to the next task. And he got up and he left. And He returned from following him and he took the yoke. This is Elisha. He took the yoke of oxen and he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes. So it's not that he just took one of the pair. He took all 12 pairs. And he burned the yokes. He sacrificed them. He boiled their flesh and he gave it to the people to eat. One ox would feed a family of five for a year. One ox, family of five for a year. He has just now sacrificed and cooked 24 ox. I mean, everybody in town is feasting at Elisha's table. And they're wondering, this is good. Woo, yeah. Why in the world is he doing this? Because Elisha understands that to get to something greater. you got to go through this checkpoint, and a part of this checkpoint is surrender. And so he surrendered everything. <laughs> Burning the plow meant that there was no holding on to a past life. Burning the plow meant that there was no way that he was going back, that plan A was the only plan. There was no plan B. It was either going to work or it was over. He literally cooked his old way of life and had it for dinner. All that he had lived for, all of his plans, all of his stuff, he placed on the table and said, God, if you have something greater, I'll give you whatever. It's there. It's yours. It's yours. Use it. I don't know about you. But think about this. You're CEO. You make the decisions. It's your farm. You are well off. You are seasoned in life. It's not that you're a teenager. It's not that you're even a young adult. You are, you are the CEO. You have got a growing, great place of employment. You say, all right, Lord, I'll give it to you. And check what he does. He becomes an intern. He becomes an assistant. He goes from making all the decisions to the only decision that he makes is when Elijah says, hey, go get me that coffee. Hey, go get me those copies. Hey, go make this. Hey, go here. Hey, go say this. And you're like, all right, that's good. But now check this. How long did it happen? If you go from 1 Kings chapter 19 to 2 Kings chapter 2, In that span, 18 years. From the time that he goes with Elijah to the time that Elijah is taken up into heaven on the fiery chariots, there is 18 years. Like, Brian, I I don't know about this. Let me just remind us all. Let me just remind us all that when God calls a person and He calls you and He calls me, there is a, a time period of preparation. That surrender must come about. If you look at Moses, he spent 40 years, a third of his life in the middle of absolute nowhere in a desert. All he was doing was seeing... Day upon day, sand blow this way, sand blow that way. He looked at some sheep. He tried to herd those sheep, tried to tend those sheep, but for 40 years. Why? Because God was preparing him for 40 years that he would spend, not with sheep, but in that same spot, millions of his children. What about David? David is on the backside of his dad's place one day, and all the rest of the six brothers are in front of Samuel to be anointed. And Samuel goes down one by one and says, Not you, not you, through the six. And he's like, "Uh, Jesse, you got anybody else? Well, there's just the little runt back there on the backside of, Well, go get him. And as he comes up, Samuel, God says, That's him. He anoints him, and guess what? What does he do? David doesn't go from there to the throne room. No, he goes to the back of the pasture again, five or six years. Then he's brought back in front of Saul, and he's ministering there, and then Saul's got him on the run for his life. There are moments and times of preparation. You look at the life of Paul. In Acts chapter 9, he gets saved, and as he gets saved, guess what? He goes and he speaks, and then for what most people would say, eight to ten years, he is back in Tarsus doing what? Building tents. Nobody hears from him. What is God doing? He is preparing him for ministry. Elisha is being prepared for 18 years. He has surrendered his life. On the one hand, this is not an easy place to be. This is not a, pl- a fun place to live, but this is a great place to see God work and to see growth. And if you want something greater, ma'am, sir, Brian, we must be willing to surrender. But not only must we be willing to surrender, we must be willing to sacrifice. What had been his foundation, what had been his delight, what had been his treasure and the source of that treasure was now used to Bless others. Elisha didn't just kill the ox and offer it up to God. No, Elisha killed the ox he sacrificed them and then he fed others. The heart that Elisha showed right then and there was a heart that God was working, that God was using him to love and care and bless that people. And then Service. Think about this life change. Think about the change. I remember having this conversation a number of years ago. Nathan was, I think, four at the time. Mary Morgan was one. And I remember having a conversation with my dad. And we were wrestling at that time God's call for Paige and myself to go on the mission field. And my dad's like, that's not a big big decision, you love missions, I was like, oh dad, that's a huge decision, it's a huge decision not just for me, it's a huge decision for you, he's like, no, I've already made that decision because he had, he had put his yes on the table, I remember sitting, I was a junior in high school and my dad was a successful and still is a successful optometrist, had multiple offices and God said, hey, you need to go to seminary and my dad said, okay, I'll give you every Monday until I finish seminary and so he went to seminary. And guys, like, all right, I want you to go to the mission field. And he sat us down, and he said, Brian and Jennifer, he's like, um, here's what's changing. Your mom and I have answered this, and this is what we're going to do. And he was willing to do it. And it was a huge change. But really, God was testing him, because God never called him to go. Even though he said, my yes is on the table, he never called him to go. And so there was that test. But we were going through that same thing, and I said, Dad, it's going to be huge. And he's like, no, it's not. I was like, Dad, you love your grandkids. You love your grandkids more than you love me. And, and that's okay because they are gifts for you. But I said, what happens if we're halfway around the world? Your relationship with them is not going to be as close as if we're two hours away like we are now. It is a huge de- decision. Can you imagine what his parents were thinking? Uh, Elisha goes to mom and dad and says, Hey, yeah, I'm leaving the farm. Great, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to go be an intern. I'm going to go get Elijah some coffee. I'm going to go be whatever he wants me to be. How long are you going to do that? Um, Until God says otherwise. What's your boy doing now, mom and dad are asked. Uh, well, he's, he's no longer CEO of the farm. He's now just an intern. There was surrender. There was sacrifice, not just on the one, but on the all. And there was service. For 18 years, flip over to 2 Kings chapter 2. Let me just give you... This briefly, and we'll pick this up next week. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 6. You got to love Elisha, but here's what happens Elijah said to Elisha, Hey, you stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, There is no way in the world. This is me saying what was there. There is no way in the world that that's going to happen. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you, stand, you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two men, they went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And they both were standing by the Jordan. And then Elijah took his cloak, that same cloak that he threw over Elisha. He took his cloak. And he rolled it up and he struck the water and the water parted to one side and then to the other till the two of them could go over on dry land. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, All right, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said to him, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. For 18 years, he walked with Elijah. For 18 years, he saw miracle after miracle. For 18 years, he saw the man get up. He saw the man talk. He saw the man walk. He saw the man go to bed and do it all over again. And he said, what do you want from me? And he said, here's what I want. I want that cloak of yours. When it's placed on me, I want it to be a double portion. Entitled it something greater for this reason. If you read the book of 1 Kings, up to this point in the book of 2 Kings, there are 14 miracles at the hands of Elijah. If you read from this moment farther in the book of 2 Kings, there are 28 miracles at the hands of Elijah. 14, 28, a double portion. Sir, there is something greater for you, and there is something greater for me. Ma'am, there is something greater. And every person seated in this place wants something greater. Every person does. If it was truly greater, every person listening at this moment wants something greater. But you and I must go through this checkpoint. That checkpoint is surrender. Surrender your dreams. Surrender your good. It was some good stuff that Elisha had. He had a great life. Surrender and sacrifice. And there's got to be some stuff that you've got to throw on the table. Lord, I, I give it to you. It's there. That's what you want. Open hands. And then the checkpoint goes from surrender and sacrifice. It goes to service. God did not. He did not. He has not. He will not just call you and say, hey, thank you for loving me. You don't have to do anything. I did everything for you. You don't have to do anything now. No. When you bow the knee, when I bow the knee, when you confess with your mouth, when I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord We're just like Elisha. We're an intern. We're a servant. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Okay. I'll go talk to John. Okay. I'll stand up if they're talking bad about you at the water cooler or at the coffee pot. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my aunt, she needs to... Not say those things on Facebook. Okay, I'll speak. Yeah, my neighbor, they are into some wild, crazy stuff. They need to hear about you. I'll i will talk to you. Something greater always goes through the checkpoint of surrender, of sacrifice, and service. You're called to that. I'm called to that. May we heed that calling today. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Father, if it's not at the physical altar here at the front, I pray that it's at the altar of every one of our hearts. God, that we would respond knowing, knowing that there's something greater. Sir, there was a lot of stories spoken of this morning and maybe it came across to you as rambling, ma'am. Maybe it came across to you as as murky and and muddy. Father, I pray that you would make it crystal clear in the hearts of every single one of us that you have something greater, but it's going to cost us everything. Father, that we've got to be willing to give up everything for something greater. And oh, how much greater it is. Father, I pray that these men and these women, that these young men and young women would respond to you in their hearts, respond to you in obedience. Father, that we would bow the knee again. That we would confess with our tongue again that you are Lord. You are master over all. You are master over me. And we would come to something greater.